Welcome to Wide Open Day. I'm Heather Kelly, and this is a podcast where I get to speak with interesting people about what it means to them to make the most of their day and how they do it. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Wide Open Day. I am absolutely thrilled to have Anthony Sargent with us today. Anthony is a truly incredible culture sector leader. He has had a long career in the arts that's included roles with the BBC, Artistic Projects Director at London South Bank Centre, Head of the Arts for Birmingham City Council, General Director of Sage Gateshead in North England, and most recently as CEO of Luminato Festival here in Toronto. And he's also had enormous positive influence and numerous director roles here in Toronto with the Bentway Conservancy, Toronto Arts Council, Digital Projects Coalitions, and so many others. So I'm thrilled to have Anthony talk with us today. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you very much. So, Anthony, what does it mean to you to make the most of your day? It's such an interesting question. I think it's such a wonderful project. I love the title for it. I love calling it Wide Open Day. The answers to that question that relate to my personal life and there are answers that relate to my work life. And then I began to think about that and the more I thought about it, they're distinct. But, but then I thought they do actually connect up. So I think in terms of making the most of my day personally as a, as a human being, People often use the adjective childlike when they talk about a very heightened sense of inquisitiveness and curiosity. And I always think that's a shame. You know, it's very interesting. The education system in Finland really tries to deal with that. The problem that in a lot of education systems in the world, that sense of inquisitiveness and curiosity gets sort of combed out of young people in their teens as very the curricular pressures build up. And that quality that we call childlike, which we think of as characteristic of young children, you don't see as, as people grow up into adults. And the Finnish education system has tried really hard to find a way of, of preventing that, as I would call it, decline happening. And I think of myself very much in childlike terms. In terms of making the most of my day, for me, a day is a good day when I learn something or I discover something, or I think about something in a fresh way. When I came to Canada five years ago, everything here was strange. Everything was new. The corner stores, the convenience stores, the public transit system, you know, the, which side of the road you drive on, every single thing about the experience was strange and new. And I was fascinated by that because I've worked abroad a lot, but I haven't actually bought a house and lived and worked in another country before. And I became more and more fascinated by that. In my early month, I posted endlessly, particularly on Facebook, on little things that I'd seen and noticed and strange things, things that made me smile, things that made me laugh, and things that made me surprised, things that made me puzzled. And the reactions were so interesting to that, that reactions of international friends and colleagues around the world were, particularly if they didn't know Canada so well, it was, this is interesting, it tells me a bit about Canada. But it was the reaction of my Canadian friends that intrigued me more, because it was like I was coming as a six-year-old to Canada and seeing the world through the very open eyes that a six-year-old would have, but I'm 70. And 
I found that a really rich overlay, that, that tr- you know, keeping the, that sense of curiosity and inquisitiveness that I've always had every day of my life, but you know, using it as an adult. So I think to make the most of my day as a human being, it's all about discovering things, learning things, experiencing beauty sometimes, just something um, very remarkable. And we may, I think we may talk about COVID a little bit later, and there's a very particular version of this, I'll say, under that. Then I was thinking about work and what it means to make the most of my day in, in working terms. And I think, I mean, I lost a few jobs, three or four jobs I've done and been, uh, been leading roles. And those roles have a very particular responsibility. They're different in a very particular way from other management jobs. But they are not so much transactional. They are more transformational. So what you want to do when you hire a leader is you want somebody who will move the organization or the institution in some particular direction, some positive direction. If you hire a manager, typically you want somebody who can do something really well and who's really experienced and who's a great, you know, technocratically able and sophisticated operator. If you hire a leader, you want somebody who will do something that's different to that. So in terms of a wide open day of making the most of my day as a leader, there are days where when I'd moved forward something in which I really believe, and it may be a, it may be quite a small thing, it may be an absolutely enormous multi-year thing, but when I get to the end of the day and you review what's happened in the day and what's gone well and what hasn't gone well, and I always want to f- be able to find a few things that, for me, were changes, developments, that it was really important that they should happen and that in that day that they did happen. And it's sometimes not things you do yourself. It's sometimes enabling other people to achieve things. And particularly if that's unexpected, there's something very thrilling about working with a colleague who's helping and supporting them in, in ways that relate to some particular task that they're doing. And then seeing them suddenly take big steps that you wouldn't have expected they could take. And that's an incredibly enriching thing. My last job before this, I had a colleague, and she was very good, but she'd only ever worked in a reasonably tight geographical framework in England. And I was projecting her immediately into an international media where she was traveling endlessly and representing the organization globally and, and doing all those things in a very brilliant way. But it wasn't something she'd ever done before. I felt very thrilled about that, about seeing her take that step. The only other big thing I'd say about this before perhaps putting those threads together is, for me, I'm always measuring these things to the extent that they've happened collaboratively. I'm not so interested in the successes that are achieved adversarially. You know, if I was a sports star, that would be all I would think about. You know, would be winning a race. But in my world of my, in my working life, I've always tried to operate in a way that brings a group of people behind an idea, brings them to embrace a, a way of thinking, maybe. And a couple of things I've done here. There was a thing which involves some commercial partnerships. I can't say a lot about it because it'll be in next year's festival, but it involves some very particular commercial partnerships with people who had very little sense, really, of the art. And we travelled a careful road together, and we got to know one another, and we, you know, I began to understand the, the pressures on them in their industry, and, and reciprocally, they began to understand how arts and culture work. And there will come from this an extraordinary project in 2021. And for me, in, in sort of human and leadership terms, what made that possible was leading this very small group of, of major leaders in the business world in Toronto into territory that was quite new to them and doing that in a way that it was a game changer. And I did when I was in, in Birmingham as head of the city council, I was there for 10 years. 
And Simon Rattle and I, it's quite a complicated project, but we did a project that essentially was like a review of the whole of the 20th century in 10 years. Called, <laughs> we called it Towards Millennium. We took a decade every year for 10 years. So it was a 10-year project. So people had to sign up to it for 10 years. And, and it's quite a tricky thing in the end to say to people, this is a 10-year journey, you've got to stick with it. And they almost all did. And we had an extraordinary journey of 10 years that had the same kind of leadership energy and dynamic at the end of the 10 years that it had at the beginning. It's days like that that make me feel one doing something that, I don't mean to sound grandiloquent or, or pompous, but that you go to bed thinking that something in the world is better than it was when you woke up in the morning. And that's the test that matters, is, is have you used your energy in your, your waking hours to make some aspect of the world a little bit better than it was when you got up in the morning? It's really resonating what you're saying about the personal side of open curiosity and discovery. And there's this element of noticing and newness, also transformational leadership and creating forward movement. How do you do it? I think the personal side is easy. I think you, you are just completely open. You have to be open all the time, all your waking life, to everything new and everything fresh and everything extraordinary and everything charming and everything delightful and everything startling. And you just have to be utterly open person. I mean, I, there are faiths and religions and spiritual positionings that help. That's not where I find it in myself. I just find it in myself as, a, as an inquisitive human being. So I think, in a way, it, it's sort of easier, the personal bit. The professional bit, I think there are some very particular things. I think... One of the things as a leader, you're usually taking a, quite a large number of decisions each day, and often many of them will be quite small, quite apparently trivial, uh, and some of them will be enormous with, with very far-reaching implications. And what somebody taught me very early on was the way to go at that as a, as a way of working is to think each one of those decisions, whether it's apparently big or apparently small, and sometimes the things that you think are big turn out to be small and vice versa, but whether it looks big or it looks small, Always to pause for a minute and just think, is there some larger goal that you can advance by how you take that decision? So even quite a trivial thing, there may be some larger goal that if you take the decision this way rather than that way, you, you advance that. And that's, I mean, someone taught me that in my 20s, you know, and it's been a, a habit of my course ever since. It's every decision I take, I always pause just for a moment to think, is there a larger win here? But also I think, to start from thinking, what ideally do you want the outcome to be? There are all kinds of compromises that are forced on one in all kinds of ways. But I think you have the only place you can start is what is the ideal outcome. And however far you end up from that, if you don't start from there, for sure you'll never achieve it. So I do often think, and it, you know, people laugh sometimes about this, and there are meetings where I make quite an explicit case of saying, you know, okay, the ideal solution is such and such. And I can see eyes rolled all around the table of people thinking it's a kind of deluded fantasies. But I think that's the only thing that tells you where to compromise and where not to compromise is if you start from, you know, the ideal outcome. People talk a lot about multitasking. And I, you know, I multitask endlessly in my personal life, but I don't very much in my professional life. I prefer, and this may be a gender thing, I don't know, I prefer to really focus my whole mind on particular things. If I'm chairing a meeting, you know, I don't do, I can't do, maybe it's just my age, maybe, but I don't do that millennial thing of having my cell phone in front of me and doing emails in parallel with it. If I'm chairing a meeting and leading a meeting, that is all I am doing. And I think it, it helps me, it may, not, it may not help other people, but it helps me to really focus 
my entire mind on serious tasks that need focus. And then, you know, little technical things. I map the whole day before I, I map my day several times. I map my day once a week. I look in the next six months of my diary and go through every day and make sure, you know, it's got the right things in it and not overloaded or it's not underloaded. But it, each morning when I start the day, I look very, very carefully at the schedule for the day. And I think where are the moments of perhaps which will be emotionally intense? Where are the moments that will be intellectually intense? Where are the moments where my uh, powers of diplomacy may be more, more sorely tested? And I try to go into the day with a, a sort of intellectual and emotional framework that enables me to come at each bit of the day in the right frame of mind for that bit of the day. And, I, you know, obviously... The last two or three jobs I've been blessed with the most amazing executive assistants who manage my diary. And they will say, you have to do the television interview in an hour's time and, you know, all kinds of things moves around. Whatever framework you have, stuff changes. But it gives me a sense of, of confidence, not quite the right word. It gives, it gives me a sense of confidence that in each situation, I'm likely to do and say sensible things. If I've taken an overview of, you know, I, I know where my emotional strong and weak moments are in, in the waking days, same intellectually, I know when, when I will be tired, I know moments when I will be at my brightest, you know, and I just overlay that with, with each day's schedule. So try to make sure that, that I make, um, that I do sensible things at every stage, I suppose is the way to say it. I love that idea of mapping your day and mapping your week with all of those layers that include scheduling. But scheduling is not mapping. You're mapping out a journey of workflow, of energy, of emotional, and of tasks, which is fascinating. It, that is true. That exactly, you summarized it exactly right. I'm quite a visual person. My first office here in Toronto, it's in one of the Artscape buildings that was a former school. And they had the enormous blackboard in it, and a pile of chalk. And I found my, I could have done this before, but I found myself in all the conversations I was in, I would just get up and draw a graph, endless, endless graphs, you know, the way that this will perform and that will perform, and timelines. Do, because it's the way I think, I tend to think of everything visually, and that's why I always use the metaphor of mapping. And I was doing an interview for the Globe and Rail once, and the guy came in, and he said, oh, you've obviously inherited this office from somebody else, looking at all these graphs and charts. <laughs> I said, no, 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 this is all my stuff. And he looked very puzzled, and I said what I just said to you, which is that it's just the way I think. I have a visual sense of time. It's a sort of version of synesthesia, I suppose, another kind of synesthesia. And I think of time is the most utterly, utterly precious resource, as, as, as everybody does, and particularly if you're in senior leadership roles, you do. But for me, it's a very visual thing, you know, how much time and how little time and the sequences of doing things in the right order. Thank you for your summary. exactly spot on. At this point in the conversation, I asked Anthony if and how things have changed for him now during COVID-19 and with his decision to leave Luminato and go back to the UK? Actually, yes, uh, Heather, they have, and they've changed a bit with both. I think about this a lot, and I'm sure we all do, because this is an absolutely civilization-changing moment, and we will look back on this in 20 and 30 years' time as, as people who live through the world wars look back on them, and every experience we have and every moment is precious and to capture and to learn from and to remember. I mean, lots of things have struck me about COVID, but two very personal things. One is that typically we're doing stuff over Zoom or over the phone now most of the time, even personal domestic things now. So we don't any longer rely on body language in the old way that we did and there's a very intense focus on people's voices and there's a very intense focus on their eyes. And I think what that's teaching me is to read people through their voices and their eyes 
and in a way that previously I would have noticed how they stood and how they moved their hands and, and all kinds of other things about their body language that might have transmitted to me signals about, about how they were thinking and where they were. And now, you know, I find I'm more and more focused on the eyes and the voice. And, and that's kind of an interesting thing. And I think I may be becoming more observant of those things now. And that will be, you know, that can only be helpful in the future. And the other thing is, I must say this, and I've said this online quite a lot, there are terrible things about COVID and the number of deaths reported. I don't want to sound in a trite and crass way polyamorous. This is a terrible, terrible sign that the world is living through. I think we haven't even begun to see the depth of the catastrophic implications that it will, the shadow it will cast over us as a, as a human race for, for many, many years. Having said that, the mere fact of going out, and I, I've always, pretty much all my life, I've lived in cities, worked in cities, and it's a very striking thing for me in Toronto. I, you know, I, go, I cycle a lot, I walk a lot. And the soundscape is so extraordinary. And I live between King and, and Queen Street, you know, a busy part of town. And the traffic is, it's sort of like 5 a.m. Sunday morning every day. And the bird song is spring. We're in the middle of spring. The bird song is so amazing. And the church bells are so amazing. And I posted that online the other day and somebody said rather glumly, oh, the churches are all shut where I am. No, the churches are all shut here. It's not, they're not service bells. They're clock bells. But they're very particular sound, the church clock bells. And I just, it really lifts my spirits out, walking through the streets, you know, and I love the sound of streetcars and I love the sound of all the normal things that city dwellers cherish. That's why we live in cities. But there is something about this rather magical quality that the birdsong and the church bells are little, they're little, tiny, tiny, but very beautiful to me, silver linings of this, of this complex time. I mean, in terms of moving on, you know, the whole business of when you step down from jobs is, is important to get right, I think. And if you move on because you think you want to move on, time to move on, which is what I'm doing with this position. I always think about the timing in terms of trying to move on when organizations are reasonably stable, so when recasting the role is, is not too hideously difficult to do. And so in external terms, trying to pick a moment when the organization is reputationally in a good place and financially when its internal dynamic is, is reasonably comfortable. And you can't always do that and you don't always get those judgments right. But I think it's quite an unkind thing to do to an organization to leave it when it's in a terrible mess. I think if you're a leader, Firstly, you have a responsibility for it not being in a mess, because that's your job. And secondly, I think the proper moment and the responsible and respectful moment to hand jobs on is when your, your board will not have too terrible a job in recasting. I also, I mean, I just say this personally, I always balance a little bit the ratio of energy you invest to, to what happens as a result of the energy. And I, I mean, that's always in the back of my mind when I'm, I'm thinking about when to move. And the other just thing I would say about just in one sentence is that in leadership roles, much of your life is continuity. Much of your life is things that will take years to pull off. And so in my last job, I gave a year's notice. This time I gave six months. But however much or little notice you give, you will always leave things incomplete. You will do some things that are really important to you that you haven't really begun. There will be other things that with a bit of luck you can complete. And there will be a very significant list of things that will be half done at the point you stand down and move on. And I, I mean, I'm really intensely focused on that now because I finished uh, Limonada in the last day of May, 31st of May. I'll be in Canada for a few months after that, but I've got a very disciplined list of the things that I don't want to leave as loose ends. I want to leave as tied things that I want to all be possible. But I think you really have a responsibility to the organization you lead up until the minute you walk through the door. You can start thinking about the rest of your life the next day, but until the moment you walk through, out through the door, you really have a responsibility as a leader to try to leave the landscape in as elegantly organized the way as you can.
What a joy to speak with you today, Anthony. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. I'm incredibly grateful for having had the opportunity to work with you, learn from your leadership, and for having this conversation today. Thank you. Bless you, Heather. I, that's very sweet of you. I've, I've enjoyed working with you, and I have to say, I have made so many wonderful friends in this city, in this country. And although I've only been here for five years, I feel like it's, I feel like it's half my life. I feel sort of half Canadian now and half European. And I can't begin to tell you how warmly welcomed I have felt in this country every day of my time here. I shall miss that, but as a memory, I shall cherish it more than I can begin to say. This has been an episode of Wide Open Day. I'm Heather Kelly. Thank you for being here. You can find more podcast episodes and articles at wideopenday.com. Until next time, be well, and I hope you find ways to make the most of your day, whatever that means to you.